If you walked in this morning and you came into the lobby, you may have noticed a couple things. And if you're an early uh, come-to-service person and you got here a few minutes before the service, you may have noticed a couple things. Uh, there was no music when you walked in. Um, there's only a couple lights uh, that are here. The stage is pretty stripped. Out in the lobby, there's some pictures that are missing. Um, we, we thought about doing some radical things like taking out the chairs this morning or turning off the air conditioning this morning to kind of get your attention this morning. We even thought, man, if we really want to get everybody's attention, no preschool ministry and just see what happens, all right? Uh, But that would be pure chaos. But close to that is the coffee dispensers we're missing out there this morning. I don't know if anybody at this service is really that imperative for you, but the folks at 845, they were missing it, okay? We wanted you to walk in this morning and hopefully grasp that something's a little bit different. Something's missing. There's something not in the lobby. There's picture frames that don't have pictures in them in the building. There's things in the lobby missing in the other service. There was no pulpit. There were just things missing all over, and it was for a a purpose. For us to begin to ask of ourselves, with Easter upon us, what are we missing? What, What are we missing when it comes to Easter? Because as a country... We celebrate Easter pretty heartily, even though it may be for different reasons. I want us to look at this morning, what are we missing about Easter? What are we just not getting? What's not clicking? What's not a part of our week this coming week? So Thursday, Friday evening, uh, my oldest daughter and I, we were in Target shopping, doing some birthday shopping, doing some other things, and I don't know why I was surprised, but I, I was really blown away that half a Target felt like it was Easter, and there was a, a section of cards. I have no idea why you mail somebody a card for Easter. You can tell me about that later, why you do that. I don't get it, okay? Um, just random to me, and, and then there are sections for Easter clothes that you can go pick out your matching, matching outfits. You can get all that ready. Some of you got those. Check. Got it. Good. Uh, then there is the Easter candy section. I mean, it's like this room size at Target. I mean, it's huge. And, and I didn't know until this year that there were variations of a certain candy that some of you love and some of you hate. Peeps. Peeps. How many of you love peeps in the room? How many of you love peeps in the room? How many of you hate peeps? Whoa, all right, this service hates peeps, all right? Um, did you know that peeps, I mean, they're, they're sugar, right? It, they're just sugar. And for those of you who don't like peeps, I've started a controversy. Just bring it back, bring it back, okay? <laughs> I didn't know until this year when I was in Target, and then I went home and looked it up. There are 12 flavors of peeps internationally and nationally this year. There's cotton candy, which is sugar mixed with sugar, okay? Then there is sour watermelon, which is sugar. There is even, I didn't see this one at a local Target around here, but there are some online. Some of you are going to have to go home and order them because you're peep maniacs, all right? Um, There are pancake and syrup flavored peeps, all right? Then there is the controversial Cadbury cream egg. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about because you've never, it's never been bought for you because your parents hate it, so they don't buy it for you. You have no idea what I'm talking about, but there's this whole section of Target that's 
Christmas, I mean, uh, Easter candy. Then there are Christmas, I mean, Easter yard decorations. Then there are Easter uh, home goods. I mean, you, you can just take over. Something happened in 2017 as a country. We accomplished something. I don't know if it's a good accomplishment, all right? In 2017, we spent more money for the first time on Easter than we did on Valentine's Day, $18.7 billion. Now, I didn't look at every card. Uh, I, I did not search through every card. I'm sure there's some that are in Target that have some recognition of this being a spiritual holiday. I do not expect Target, nor do I expect Walmart, to be the, uh, the voices of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their goal is to make money, all right? Let's just call it like it is. But if that alone, my experience Friday night is Easter, and that's what I get, then the world's missing it. They're missing large, the reason for Easter. They're missing it. Their celebration is going to come and go. Most people, it's not even called Easter break. It's called spring break. Some of you have one. Some of you don't. Some of you wish it hadn't snowed back in December so that you could have a full week off now. And you got all these variables and all these things. It's Easter. But what are we missing? So the world's missing it. So they're they're not grasping the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what about inside the church? What are we missing? What, What are we missing? What am I missing about Easter? What are you missing about Easter? Last week we examined in Luke chapter 19, which is where we're going to be again today in Luke chapter 19... We examine the story of an interaction that Jesus had with a guy by the name of who? Zacchaeus, all right? Zacchaeus and Jesus had this interaction. Jesus shows up in the town. He goes to Zacchaeus' house, and this unbelievably life-changing moment happens for Zacchaeus. He goes from the gentleman who is a tax collector, fraudulent tax collector, to a gift giver giving money to the poor, returning fourfold to people all the money that he'd stolen from them. But in that story, which we didn't dig into much last week, there's people in that story that are missing it. And I just wondered this week, as I was reading through this, if I would have been a part of the early part of Luke chapter 19, and I would have been in the crowd going from town to town with Jesus, from Jericho, moving with Jesus, and I would have been in the streets following Jesus, and Zacchaeus would have gone into his house, what would I have said? What would my reaction have been? I probably would have said something like, you know, Jesus, there's a lot of people out here that are way better people than Zacchaeus. Maybe you should do some more miracles out here. There's some people that are following you that definitely need miracles. And Zacchaeus, he's just, he's a scoundrel. The Jewish followers of Jesus at this point, in this story and in this moment, they are hoping and praying and expecting Jesus to become a political Messiah. Here's what their hope was. As Jews, they were hoping this miracle-working rabbi whose teaching was astonishing and baffling to the people of the day, they were hoping that his message would raise him to the point that he would be able to overthrow Rome and become the political Messiah. But they were missing it. They were missing it. The Pharisees 
the religious people of the day, the ones who had the most record and the most knowledge of the history of Jesus and his background and the prophecies, the epicenter of Jewish traditions that they were teaching, they wanted Jesus to fit in, to fall into line with their teaching, and, and they were missing the Messiah standing right in front of them. And Luke chapter 19 records what many will title, and maybe in your Bible there's a little footnote there that titled the triumphal entry. We're going to look at this this morning, but as we look at this, I, I want us to see as we read through part of it then and unpack it, there's a lot of history going on here. There's a lot of prophecies that were spoken 1,000, 1,500 years before this moment that are all coming true in this moment. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these details of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. So if you've got your Bibles, if you'll look at Luke chapter 19, verse 28, we're going to go from there. If you use an app or a device to look up Scripture, please, if you could go there. Um, If you are a golf watcher, please, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, all right? Nobody's going to win before you get out of church, okay? Okay. Some of you are like, I don't know what he's talking about. Just stay that way, all right? Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, from Jericho to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it. Bring it here. If anyone asks, what are, why are you untying it? You say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. We're going to come back to that moment in just a minute. Verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, They set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground. And as he was, uh, as the the cloaks on the ground, and as they rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground. As he was nearing, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Now, why is this important? Why is this significant? It's significant for several reasons. One is it's significant because Jerusalem is the holy city. It is the epicenter of the Jewish people. So Jesus is going into Jerusalem. But he's also going in at a very specific time. It is the centerpiece of the Jewish calendar. It's Passover. Passover was by which they set the dates for their entire year. And Jesus, not accidentally, 
but divinely, is going into Jerusalem during Passover. Now, Passover, just a quick little history lesson. Passover is a celebration that the Jewish people had been doing for 2,000 plus years. And here's what they celebrated every year during Passover. They celebrated that 2,000 years before, Moses and the people of Israel were enslaved for 400 plus years. And on the eve of their being freed from slavery, God gave them instruction to kill a lamb, to take the blood of the lamb and put it upon their doorpost. And any doorpost that had the blood of the lamb upon it, death, as it came through and swept through and killed the firstborn of the Egyptians, would not kill any child inside a home that the blood was placed upon. It would pass over them. So this is their celebration. This is their tradition. 2,000 years. This is what they do every year at Passover. If you could afford it, you went to Jerusalem during Passover. If you had the, the value and the money to go to celebrate, to bring great significance, you went to Jerusalem and Passover, and you would purchase a lamb, and a lamb would be offered as a sacrifice. And Jesus was entering Jerusalem during Passover. The significance here is great. Jesus was going to become the Passover lamb, meaning that sacrifice that they celebrated for 2,000 years and the blood that passed over and protected them, Jesus was going to become that sacrifice and his blood would cover their sinfulness. It is that Passover, it is that moment that we will come to celebrate next weekend in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is not entering into this town accidentally. He is not coming into town at a time that was a happenstance. It was an appointed time for an appointed purpose. But he was also coming into Jerusalem with a lot of people that did not know he was there. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know he'd been out in other regions preaching. And they gathered together. The Gospel of John records it this way. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Matthew, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verse 10 to 11 says, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So we see here there's people in the city that are going, who is this? And they're going, oh, he's Jesus. And so all these things are taking place in and around this moment that Jesus is riding on a colt going into town. For those of you who are examining, thinking, processing the history, historic value of the Bible and the teachings. One of the things that transpires in this passage is a prophecy that was made about 1,200 to 1,500 years before this moment comes true in this moment. And it comes true in a way that to me, in part of the story, that kind of blows my mind. It's the whole moment there where the donkey was tied up and Jesus sends the disciples to go get the donkey. And he says, if anybody asks you, uh, what are you doing with the colt? Tell them, well, the Lord needs it. 
And so sure enough, he sends the two disciples. They go into town. And sure enough, they say, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? Right? That's what we would say. And they said, what are you doing with the donkey? Well, the Lord needs it. Okay, take the donkey. Now, you may go, that's kind of an odd inclusion of detail for us. No. It is a picture of something that was foretold by the prophet Zechariah. Verse 9, chapter 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Every detail is important. Every moment is fulfilling more and more prophecy. Don't miss it. Don't miss what is taking place in this passage. Let us not leave this place today missing our preparation for Easter. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground, drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Matthew says of this moment, Hosanna, the people were singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. If you've been to a church production or a presentation of this moment and this week, you've seen it take place. People are waving palm branches. They're laying down in front. They're they're taking their jackets off, their cloaks, Scripture says. They're laying in front of it and it's coming into town. But please make sure some of these folks were missing what was happening. Even though the prophecies had been coming true, even though the promises had been proclaimed, even though there's some things that they should have seen, some of them being religious, they should have known, they should have connected the dots, but they were missing it. There are those in the crowd who are saying, this is going to be our Savior. He is going to be our political leader. Some were saying, we're going to praise Him because of His works. Not of His authority, but of His works. And then there's the Pharisees. The religious leaders of the day, who should have been the ones who got it who knew all the prophecies, who should have seen it standing right there in front of them. It says, the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. They wanted Jesus to fit the mold in the way that they wanted Jesus to fit the mold. And he wasn't fitting the mold. And so they said, could you just tell your followers, shh, be quiet. Jesus said, hey, you, they can be quiet, but the rocks and stones will cry out. They were missing it. They were missing it. Something far greater was at hand. Far greater than a political king coming in. There was something greater. They were missing it. Verse 41 is a powerful verse. It says, And when he drew near and saw the city, 
He wept over it. Now I want you to imagine the moment. Jesus is performing miracles, right? I imagine Zacchaeus is in the back of the crowd catching up with people. Go, here's your money back. Here's your money back. Here's your money back. Follow along. Hey, man, you're poor. Here, here, take some. All these things are going on. Don't clean this up. You've got those that are saying, Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's a political leader. You've got the Pharisees going, hey, can you quiet down the crowd? Palm branches being thrown down in front of him. And then as Jesus comes over a, le- over a ridge or comes through a valley, we're not exactly sure what this looks like. I haven't been there. Some of you might have. But he comes over this ridge and he sees the city. And what does Scripture say? He wept over it. Now, gentlemen, if you've ever watched a movie and you were led to tears and you tried to hide your tears, you know, the manly thing to do. Not really, but the way we make it out. The movie gets to our hearts and we go, oh, man, whew, man, something in my eye, right? Oh, a little tear. This is not that kind of crying. This is a guttural, someone has been lost, cry. This is an out loud. This is a sobbing. So imagine the moment they're coming across the ridge and some people are so excited. They're waving prom brandy. Here comes Jesus. And the people in the crowd in the city are going, who is that? He's Jesus of Nazareth. This is him. And he turns the corner. He comes across the top. He just breaks. Don't miss it. He weeps over the city. Then what he says, essentially, is you guys are missing it. You guys aren't accepting of this. You've had me around. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from this, from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This was supposed to be this joyful moment for the miracle seekers, right? We're going to go into, oh, this is a great plan, Jesus. We're going right into the heart of Jerusalem, right in the middle of Passover. You perform some more miracles in downtown Jerusalem this week and the crowds will double. Perfect plan, not the plan. He weeps. The Pharisees, if you would come under the teaching, if you fall in line, maybe we can bring this movement on together during Passover. Not the plan. Jesus is sitting on a donkey with crowds yelling in support, people yelling in opposition. The city... In front of him is bustling with people, of guests and of visitors. The religious festivities are about to take place. And Jesus' heart is broken. He knew that the Pharisees, what they were about to do. He knew, as we will see soon in Scripture, in the garden, he knew the weight of what was about to come upon him and the sinfulness of mankind. He knew he was about to become the sacrifice for the sins of all mankind, but they were missing it. 
Pharisees, they knew the prophecies. Connect the dots. But they didn't. He knew that the crowd that's all waving palm branches soon would become dissenters and insurgents. And they would stand with a crowd and they would yell, crucify him. They were going to miss it. He knew that those that... And we see this in other scripture where Jesus, at one point, he's teaching and he's performing miracles and he gives them a hard teaching and the crowd begins to dissipate because they wanted miracles, not hard teaching. And so Jesus gives them hard teaching and they begin to dissipate. Imagine how many people would have left the Jesus movement the moment they saw their teacher, their healer, dragging with his body ripped apart down the streets of Jerusalem. I guess he wasn't who we thought he was. But they were missing it. There was something greater. They would be swayed by ungodly motives. Had he performed miracles in front of them, they would have stayed on. But they were missing it. And Jesus wept. Jesus knew that only a handful of followers would be huddled together in just a few days. He would be crucified. He would be placed into a tomb. And and a few gatherers would huddle around and wonder, "What's, what's next? What do we do now? This sermon is a lot of history. But it's also application. Because we need to, as best we can, which is minimal, we need to know what Jesus was facing and entering into this week, carrying the weight that he was carrying. We need to wrestle with what this means for each of our lives individually as a church We need to ask questions. What are we missing about Easter? What are you missing about Easter? You see, the same groups of people in Luke 19 are still around 2019. You have those who will follow Jesus and his teaching as long as the miracles and good life is going. Those who will praise him for his mighty works, but when things don't go well, they disappear. They're missing it. You still have those who hear, and this may be you in this room this morning. You have heard the truth of Jesus Christ multiple times in this room, in another church, in another background. You have heard that there is a sinfulness in each of us that separates us from a holy God, and we need to surrender our lives to him. And you have pushed it aside, and you have pushed it aside, and you have pushed it aside. And you're missing it. Man, I got to be careful because there's also a religious group here, right? They knew all the, the history. They knew all the scriptures. They knew all the teachings. They knew all the background. Yet they were missing a Messiah standing right in front of them who said, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Who told that he was going to be the sacrifice. And they missed it. The Pharisees, they're missing it because they don't want to give up control. 
They're blinded by their own power. We must be careful as religious folks, churchgoers, to not allow our quest for power and knowledge to blind us to the life-changing truth of Jesus. Crowds still exist, but Jesus wept. He wept over the city. He wept over the defiant. He wept over the naysayers, and he wept about what he was about to endure. When the crowd saw reason to rejoice, Jesus saw many reasons to weep. So how will we respond to the triumphal entry and this brokenness of Jesus? How will we respond to it in its historical truth and its powerful truth of the moment? But then how will we also apply it to our lives? How will we respond to the triumphal entry instead of into the city, but into our lives? Are we missing it? So this morning, intentionally, we, we kind of pulled back a lot of things. We wanted to worship, not because of lights, and not because we ever do, but not because of sound, or not because of, we wanted to worship. We want to take away some things out there for you guys to go, hey, what's missing? But greater, we want to point to this beautiful, powerful moment and ask, what are we missing this Easter? A couple things I want to ask you. Don't worry, I've been asking them myself. Are we missing the weight of our sinfulness? To a holy God. This is a late edition, so it's not on your screen this morning. Are, are we missing the weight of our sinfulness to a holy God? Jesus was carrying a burden of our sin. That weight was heavy. We can't dance around it. We can't pretend it's not there. We cannot sweep our sin under the rug and point out the sins of others. We must examine and grasp the weight of our sin And what that put in motion from a holy God. And here's what it is. The weight of our sin to a holy God knew we could not enter into a relationship with him because of our sinfulness. He is perfect. So he, in his goodness and his love and his mercy, sent this Jesus to this earth to live, to be born of a virgin, to fulfill all the prophecies, to carry your weight of your sinfulness and mine to a cross. Are we missing? Have we forgotten? Have we distanced ourselves of what the weight of our sinfulness put in motion from a holy God? Are we missing it? We cannot. Those of you come week in and week out, we cannot make light of our sin. We can't. Are we missing it this Easter? A couple other things I want to ask. Are we missing? Are we missing a burden to weep over our city? Are we missing a burden to weep over the broken? If I were to ask all of you guys on the way out of church, if I just cornered you and said, you have to go out that door, and I just ask everyone, do you think we live in a broken world? You would say 100% yes. I could say, do you think we live in a sinful world? Yes. 
evil, yes. Some of you may back away from that one a little bit, but we would all, I think, agree we live in a broken world. When Jesus saw a broken city, when he saw a broken religious institution, when he saw a broken group of followers, he wept. Do we, do I carry the burdens of our community that way? Do do your neighbors that are struggling in life and in marriage and in relationships and decisions, does does it break your heart? Or do we just, oh, that's bad, I'll... I'll pray for you. Are we burdened to weep over the broken? The impact of sin, brokenness, the weary, the torn. It's not enough for us to just be empathetic, empathetic, to simply feel bad towards their sinfulness, but to be willing to weep over the impact of their sin and of the brokenness around us. When we talk here about shaping our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ, that's not Target and Walmart's responsibility at Easter to do. That's the church's responsibility to do. Are we missing a burden to weep over our city? Are we missing a burden to weep over the broken? So let's talk about this on a practical level. Those are, whew, all right? Everybody just breathe. One big breath, like one, two, three. All right, sweet. Are we missing, on a practical level, are we missing the opportunity to invite those we love to hear what they may be missing? Now, I know Easter is coming, and I know some of you are going to be in town. I know some of you are going to be out of town. I know you have breaks and vacations and plans, and all those things are coming up. I I realize that. But just know this, that uh, across the globe, statistically, uh, Easter and Christmas are a couple of those weekends that folks that don't go to church might accept an invitation to come to church. Now, here's here's what I I, want to push this a little bit further. I'm not just asking you to make a flyby invitation to next Saturday night at 6 or next Sunday at 8.45, 10 and 11.15. Flyby invitation, okay? The neighbors that you've never talked to, that you've never invested your life in, and you go to them and say, would you come to church with me next weekend? Don't be surprised when they say no, okay? Inviting them here may take a lot more steps to invite them here before you invite them here. We've got to be people who say, you know what, before I invite them to this, which may be very overwhelming for them, I've got to invite them into, I've got to get to know them, I've got to become a part of them, I've got to invest in them. They've got to sit around in my home before they may come here. Now, that's not saying some people won't. Yesterday I saw a young lady in our community and uh Seen her a few times, and I just said, hey, which service you coming to do next week? Well, I don't know. I was like, oh, well, I do. Which one do you want? You want to sleep in? 8, 11, 15. See you next Sunday, all right? I'm going to go back to her workplace. I'm going to 
give her the biggest layer of guilt when she doesn't come that she's ever? No. I'm going to go back in and say, I sure missed you. Maybe another Sunday. Hey, you didn't come for Easter, but can I pray for you? Are we missing it? Who do you know who is missing Jesus? Who do you know? Who do you know that's missing Jesus? I didn't ask you, who do you know is missing church or who do you know is missing this? Who do you know is missing a Jesus who weeps over their sin, who weeps over their brokenness, who went to the cross as a payment for their sin, who conquered sin and death in the resurrection? Who do you know that's missing Jesus? So next weekend is an opportunity to invite them into your home, invite them into your life, invite them to worship. It's going to be about 75 minutes long. Um, Next weekend, we'll have worship together. We're going to be walking through what what would it be like if the resurrection of Jesus did not happen? Why does it matter? But today, I want you to not think about for missing coffee or a few pictures or the stage doesn't look the same. Or I want you to ask yourself, what am I missing about Easter? Am I missing that the weight of my sin sent a perfect sacrifice to a cross? Willingly, lovingly? Am I missing that someone that I already love and have a relationship with needs Jesus? So in just a minute, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to, I want to give you permission here, because sometimes I think we need that in church, because um, some things may seem a little awkward. Who, who do you know who is missing Jesus? And, and I want you to feel comfortable. A lot of you guys sit in the same little pockets on Sundays, okay, and that's awesome, which means you're around some people that you've gotten to know, maybe at least by name. And so if you feel comfortable, if you feel led to, to turn around to somebody around you and say, hey, would you pray for me for this person? They're missing Jesus, and I, and I want to pray that God would give me the opportunity to introduce Jesus to them. Now, if you turn to somebody and they say no, take them by the hand, come up during the invitation, say, Pastor, they wouldn't pray with me, okay? <laughs> no, don't do that. But listen. If we can't collectively be burdened in here to pray for the lost, we will not be burdened out there. And if we can't be comfortable to pray for those that we love and care about in this room, together with fellow believers, then my guess is we won't do it outside this room. So during our invitation, yes, I'll be here. Man, I'd love to speak with you because I have no doubt there's somebody in this room who is missing Jesus and you've never trusted him as your savior and the weight of your sin and your guilt and your shame, you would like for a God to forgive you and you'd love somebody to walk you through that. I would love that opportunity. But I would also love if you knew somebody in your life, first name, that you could share with those around you. If you feel led to, feel, feel comfortable, 
If you don't, it's totally fine. Don't, don't peace out. Okay? Don't like, oh, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm just going to leave. Don't do that, all right? Let's pray. Who in my life do I know that's missing Jesus?